eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm honored today. Today's special, and I think it's going to be a show that you'll never forget the rest of your life. That's that's my outcome for today, and I invited two friends of mine, two people that I'm proud to have any association with. And we're going to talk about Afghanistan today. We're going to talk about the Middle East, just and even our role in general in the world with the military. And then we're also going to talk about why you should care. Why does it matter to you, right? With all the things you have going on in your life, it's easy to disregard these things. And I didn't want this to be one of these CNN, Fox News, you know, filtered type stuff. I didn't want one of these generals on here. I wanted real warriors, people that have been on the ground that have operated that can give you real feedback. And it's the two people that I've had on my show that I respect the most in my life. And so I'm honored to have with me today. First, Rob O'Neill. Rob's had over 400 combat missions in his life that we know of. Um, you know, you've all heard Rob on my show before. He's was part of the Lone Survivor Rescue, first guy in the boat in Captain Phillips raid, um, and is probably best known for killing a guy named Osama bin Laden. And when I talked to Rob, I said, Rob, I got a new friend named Rich Devinny. He says, that's the finest seal I ever served with. So that's pretty high praise. Rich, 20 years, seal commander, 13 deployments, 11 of them in Afghanistan and Iraq. And he trained a, he was a trainer for a group that we're not supposed to name that rhymes with SEAL Team 6. It rhymes with that. <laughs> and um, and so he's got some significant experience to share with us too. So gentlemen, thank you for being here today. Honored to have you. Thank hey, Ed, you. it's great to be with you. Yeah, great to be uh, here. And uh, let me just give you a call out because, um, you know, I Rob and I, you know, we lost contact, we lost touch. And that happens just because, you know, when you when you leave the military, it's, it's kind of a natural progression. But uh, but, you know, you were the reason that uh, Rob and I got to finally talk to each other after I think it was five or six years it had wow. been. So, yeah, so, it's been a long time. And, and uh, Ed actually sent me a message saying that he interviewed you. And, and, and I said, I wasn't sure if I, I didn't mention you by name at the time, Rich, but uh, I had quoted you, I think, two or three times when I was on uh, Ed's podcast the first time. And uh, I, I didn't know if you were either going to love me or hate me for doing that, like I was stealing your material. <laughs> but, uh, but I know that a lot of stuff you said to me when we were working together, and we can get into that, uh, has stuck mm -hmm. with me. Not just in the Navy, not just at SEAL Team 6, but afterwards in the, in the 10, 10 whatever years I've been in the private sector. Well, I appreciate that. I do. Yeah, it's good to be it's good to be with this group. It really is. So thank yeah, you. It's certainly. And thank you both for your service. I didn't say that. So let's start out. How do you both feel about what's happened there? Uh, Rob, I'll start with you. So, you know, today I'm reading that, you know, the Taliban's taken over the last province that was remaining as of today, like maybe just within the last hour. We're coming up, we're recording this before, but it'll come out right after. It's the anniversary of 9-11, 20-year anniversary. Just your overall thoughts of what you've seen take place there the last few weeks, Rob, you first. Well, what's what's sad to see is we're pretty much back where we were on September 10th, uh, 2001, when when Al-Qaeda actually sent operatives up into the Panjir Valley where they're, where they're fighting what was the Northern Alliance and is again, and they killed uh, Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was the the, the lion of the Panjir who was fighting them. They killed him on 9-10, they attacked on 9-11. And they were the reason up there why we were able to send some of our brave people in there 
with air support to fight the Taliban. Uh, they're up there right now. I'm getting, uh, you know, because the Taliban took over, we knew they would cut off the cell towers. We knew they would cut off the Internet. So we're getting spotty mm. um, information out of there. But what they're, they're trying to say right now, they did attack uh, and take over the place where Masood himself was buried. They held it for five hours. I just found out that they uh, had taken it back, but the Taliban flag was raised for about five hours. Uh, and they're going to keep fighting up there. That's where the vice president, uh, who's probably the current president of the government that we left behind, he's up there. He's fighting with them. And then that's where we're recommending if we can find Americans and uh, Afghans who helped us get them there and then they can get them out to uh, to a different country. But it's, it's, it's a big fight. You, we've even seen people. Americans are up in Majorie Sharif trying to get out, but that's where they're holding the uh, the how many airplanes. And you're going to hear, you know, the suits in Washington and the Beltway say, well, you know, no one's trapped. They're just, you know, on yeah. an airplane being held on the ground with people with guns. Um, it's it's a complete mess. Uh, they did everything wrong. There, there are different reasons that we should have done. You know, we're going to get out of Afghanistan eventually. But if, if you if you took some people on the ground and asked them what's the worst way to do it, you couldn't have come up with the worst way that this has been handled so far. And Rich, I assume you feel likewise. I do. I mean, I you know, it's uh, so. I think I think it's important for us to to almost separate the two. There, there are two facets to this. There's the there's the decision to leave. That's one, right. and then the and then the actual withdrawal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the I, no one no one can debate that the the actual withdrawal has been very very poorly ex- executed to say the least. Right. I mean, that's and 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 Rob's gotten into it a little bit, and and gosh, I mean, that's just so apparent. Um, you know, in terms of the decision to withdraw, you know, there's 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 arguments to be made on 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 both right. fronts, and, and of course, the decision was was oh, it was talked about during the Obama administration, was actually uh, talked about more, and even signed into action during the Trump administration, then and then of course uh, ratified um, uh, by the Biden administration. Um, the the fact is, we had about twenty five hundred U.S. troops on the ground. Um, about 7,500 coalition, about 10,000 contractors. Uh, there is a there is an argument that could be made and and had been made that just that that small presence could have could have been maintained, you know, and and could have could have uh, stayed there as just a presence to kind of hold off the uh, the the resurgence of the Taliban. Um, and so there's an argument that can be made that that we could have stayed. Now that obviously didn't happen. That's hindsight. The decision was made to. Uh, to withdraw. Now we have to figure out, okay, now that this has happened, um, what are the effects going to be on the region holistically, right. uh, on the globe? And then, of course, how do we then uh, reconcile our new position, um, both, uh, I guess, politically and morally <laughs> with, uh, yeah. with with the Taliban, right? Because, um, because again, even Taliban and Al-Qaeda and ISIS, they're all different, right? And And one of the problems, I think, and Rob will probably back me up on this, is uh, going in there at first, we were we were all very focused on a mission of of getting bad guys, you know, and um, and of course, you know, guys like Rob and I were at the lower end of the decision making cycle, so we had job to do, and we said, hey, go find the bad guys. We're going to find the bad guys, but but a lot of the issue from a larger political standpoint was because was was because the. The groups were conflated quite a bit. I mean, the Taliban was not the same as the Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda is not the same. Well, ISIS, of course, came later and all that stuff. But these are different groups. Yeah. Similarities certainly, but but I think that's part of the analysis that needs to now be be considered. Let's talk about that for a minute. So, by the way, you might have been at the lower end of the decision making, but you were at the highest end of the execution part of it, and that's the part that I think is the why the two of you are so valuable. So, let's talk about these two points first. First, let's talk about the twenty five hundred that were there. Then we'll talk about the mess. So. 
2,500, they're not even heard Rob say, hey, we, we probably did need to get out of there. And even Rob, as I've heard, made the case, we probably should get out of there like back in 04 before all these IUDs started yep. destroying all of our guys, right? Or uh, so many of our, our brave guys over there and women. But I want to go back to that 2,500 thing because, you know, people say, well, Obama wanted to do it. Trump wanted to do it. And this has become sort of like a consensus that, hey, we shouldn't be there at all. And I just want to understand that from it because I look at it, Rob, I'll go to you first because I know you've said this, but there's 2,500 of us over there. We haven't had a death, a combat death in a year and a half. Yeah. Most of the money we've spent that we talk about, wow, it was a fortune to be over there, is in the past. That's the rear view mirror. So the expense of being there, the uh, threat of being there for us seemed nominal to me. And it's not like we're not anywhere else in the world. We've got troops in Germany, right? We've got them in Japan. We've got troops in Italy. So we have them in lots of different places around the world. Why is it so important that we leave when it seemed like we were sort of holding it together with what we had? Well, it, it, you mentioned my, my first deployment. I lived actually in downtown Jalalabad, Afghanistan in 2005. It was at a point where we're on the ground thinking, the, the, so the hearts and minds, and I've been told this by Taliban themselves, face-to-face eating rice out of the same bowl, that you're not, we're believers and you're not going to get us with, with tea and cookies. Um, you, you, the, the hearts and minds things is we, we were living with the locals. I had Afghans on both sides. We shopped in the bazaars. Uh, I rode a motorcycle around Afghanistan in the daytime, which you couldn't do now. And the airfield wasn't really built up. We could land. We'd land there with, by driving our motorbikes out there, setting up strobe lights so the C-130 could land. And we had enough people there where we're saying we're protected from the Taliban by the locals because they love that we're pumping up the economy. They love that we're giving stuff to their kids and all this stuff. But But for some reason... People in Washington and a lot of general officers live by the, this is the way we've always done it. So the surge worked. Rich and I were in, in, uh, in, in Iraq. The surge worked. And they decided, hey, let's just surge in Afghanistan. And we were telling them it's a bad idea because here's probably what's going to happen. You're going to build up that airfield. You're going to move us out of our house onto the airfield, uh, take five shop owners from out in town where we shop, move them onto the base. Then we can only buy from them. They're going to jack their prices up 800%. They're going to get rich. The people outside aren't, are going to get poor. What do you think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And, and um, if, we, if we just left that small footprint there with a few airfields to do the cross-border ops, because we knew damn well that um, Al Qaeda is now in Pakistan. So we sort of did that part of the mission. Um, and we can, we can do cross-border ops to hit them. So keep Asadabad, keep um, Bagram. All you got to do is bomb the convoys. Um, they're afraid of Bagram, and I think everyone. And it's one of those things where, it, uh, you know, people, you you do something long enough, you're going to make mistakes, and that's fine. Um, and I, I I talk to pro football teams, and I'll say, look, it doesn't matter why it's second and fifteen; it just is. Right. What do we do now? Right. Stop worrying. We can talk about that in the debrief. But I think we all were in agreement that whatever we do, do not ever give up Bagram because right. Bagram right. Bagram is a spot where. It, there's so many layers of, such, uh, of security. It's a huge airfield, like four airstrips, uh, uh, um, trauma one ho- uh, hospital, the, the barracks that are like hotels. There's a prison there, and it, it protects itself. The pilots would be back, and I'm not making this up in time for fast food and green bean coffee. We actually would make fun of it on the ground. We would call Bagram the self-licking ice cream cone because it supports itself. And it really is not that – I mean, flying in, you know, you fly from the States, you fly to Germany, into Bagram. It's not that bad of a deployment. Yes, it's a combat deployment. Yes, you're there to support yourself and support the the, the, the people on the ground, the intel assets. Someone's got to do it. But eventually, if you, if you want to keep this place stable, this is it. If, if you're slowly going to let the Afghans take over, you need Bagram. That's it. If you, you take Bagram away... This is going to, they're going to fall in 10 days. So how do you do that, Rob, if everyone's gone? So you're saying everyone shouldn't have been gone. If you're going to protect Bagram, because I heard you say this before, 
But, and also how plush it is, the karaoke nights, all this other stuff that went on. Seriously, there, no, I'm not making that up. I wish I was. That blows my mind. But how do you do that? Then you've got to have boots on the ground this, to do that, right? The, the, yeah, you do need boots on the ground. But but again, again, we made mistakes with trying to build schools and insert right. Jeffersonian democracy into a place that doesn't know what time it is. Right. You don't need to do that. We don't. Marines were not meant to build schools. They're meant to crush people, put a, a you know a finger in their chest and say, no, don't mm -hmm. do it again. Um, but this is a result now of the chain of command only working one way. Um, and, and subordinates are basically coached to tell their bosses only what they want to hear. Lie to them to let the Nordics go and find, and that slowly goes up to the general officer level, and then they're telling the politicians. And the generals are going to tell the politicians what they want because they make, you know, they're a one-star. They're going to make two-star because Congress approved it. But if you listen to someone on the ground, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the truth. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the, the, That's right. this, this idea that, you know, I've been worried, I have such respect for anybody who served. But the more I'm looking at, you know, Miley and, you know, I'm wondering where all the accountability is for some of these generals. But these you're telling me that the way it works, this is stuff that the audience would never hear anywhere else. That it doesn't come up. So the, the, everyone starts to tell each other what they want to hear. And then these generals, yes. they kind of get in yes. a spot. Don't they, Rich, where they're and I don't. I'm, can I, I can I interject for one second before Rich talks? Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to give uh, an example of Rich Devaney because he was my boss. We were this is a, this is a good segue. Um he and I were doing some mission. We were fighting in Iraq in 2007, which is the busiest summer I've ever been a part of. And we were planning something. I remember looking at it and I said, hey, um, what do you think, sir? You're in charge. And he said, oh, make no mistake. I'm not in charge. I'm just responsible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so that is, geez, Louise. So, Rich, that is true. These, these guys get to the, I, God, I want to say this respectfully because what do I know? But it seems to me sometimes these generals almost get to this point where they're playing politics because they're one step away from sitting on Chevron's board someday or something like that, right? So they're not going to rock the boat. Everyone starts sort of telling them everybody what they want to hear. Is that how you end up having a mess like this that's taking place because no one's able to talk to chain of command above them and say, no, this is wrong. Maybe we should protect a few of our helicopters. Well, you know? yeah, I mean, it's part of the way. And I, I you know, and, I, and again, I want to, I want to make sure we recognize the fact that there, you know, and, and Rob and I know this. So there were some very, very outstanding general officers and oh senior gosh. people we worked with. Um, oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so now this idea that, uh, that, sometimes the lines are blurred because because good news really sometimes needs to be heard is is 100 true uh does it happen all the time no is it part of the problem certainly um but let me just give you another optic here because i think we can you know it, it can take a little bit of the pressure off of the military i think one of the problems that we have faced uh, historically um is that terrorism is looked at as a military problem okay terrorism is not a military problem saying terrorism is a military problem is the same thing as saying obesity is a fitness problem okay um terrorism is the result of a bunch of different things and um certainly there are military aspects that can help with the with the uh the raw end of terrorism um but terrorism is ultimately uh it's an ideological problem it's a it's a uh poverty frustration problem it's a socio and economic problem. It's an isolation problem. There's a lot of factors that go into this environment. You know, give you a quick example. And, and this is where, gosh, if, if I could if I could give uh, advice to anybody right now, I'd just say anybody, whether we think about Afghanistan, we think about the nation right now is, is try to practice some empathy, right? Um, and let me give you an example of this just in, in, in Rob and my world, because I remember us having this conversation it was Rob and a few of other uh, other of us. And I can't remember which 
country it was in. We were in so many, but uh, <laughs> but um, it was either Iraq or <laughs> Afghanistan. And it was one of these times we saw. Um, it was uh, there was a, a, a one of the kids out there. It had to be fifteen or sixteen, and he had he had um, fired a or attempted to fire a, a rocket propelled grenade at one of the convoys, the U.S. or whatever. And of course, it didn't go well. Okay, he got he got. Um, addressed by the by the coalition and it was unfortunate i remember us sitting and seeing this and we began a discussion it was really interesting we we started to think and say to ourselves you know just just walk that back for a second you know think about that kid okay that kid is uh probably from a family whose dad is gone okay it's probably just him and his mom and maybe his sisters uh there's no school for this teenager there's no alcohol, there's no sports, there's no release for all of the testosterone, there's no pathway forward for this kid, and his family is suffering. Suffering, And one day the uh, the bad guys come and say, hey, we will pay you 100 dinar to go fire this rocket at this U.S. convoy. And every single one of us to a man said we would be that kid, okay? If we were in that country, we would be that kid, okay? So so this starts to explain some of the ways this starts to, to, to bubble up. It's just so much more... Than a military problem, and I think I think you know one of the things I've talked to now a couple you know certainly my buddies and 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 some folks who have we've all lost, but maybe some widows as well. And I've told them in the recent days, I said we can't ever think that what we did was in vain. We did the job we were asked to do. We listen, we were asked to go plug holes in the ship. Okay, that's what I always think of ourselves. We're you know there, there's a bunch of holes in the ship. We go down, we start plugging them, but we can only plug those holes for so long until someone is up topside taking that ship into port to be fixed okay um we were go we were we were we were asked to go find bad guys we did our job we did it well in some cases too well um but we did it and so we should feel proud about that um that it was not buttressed by a larger strategy on how to kind of secure this place um and this goes for both iraq and afghanistan because both were um were were difficult because we're not that good at nation building um is not uh, is is well it's 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 unfortunate but it's also historically typical um and so and so when we talk about the military's uh, mistakes of which we had uh many um we also have to address the fact that the military was asked to do something that the military um isn't supposed to be doing by itself <laughs> i mean you know and so and so it was a huge mission it was a huge mission in two different countries um oftentimes the other mistake and and rob and i having served in both places will rob will agree with this um the the countries the 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 strategies were conflated people thought we could do the same thing in afghanistan that we could do in iraq and you just can't a whole different structures and so and so i think there's a there was a larger uh, uh, issue going on here in terms of seeing the, the problem holistically and seeing how many elements of power um, the U.S. and the coalition um, and the world really was willing to throw at the problem. Do you think that, uh, by the way, I really appreciate you sharing that perspective and for all the former and current military listening, because I am getting messages from so many thinking what they did do there was in vain. And I know you guys are, too. Um, I mean, that's the prevailing messages that I get from people that serve that they just feel like, gosh, I, my, my, what was my time there for? Mm -hmm. And then Rob says earlier in the conversation, hey, I think we're back to September 10th. And that concerns me listening because, you know, you're discussing these admissions as past tense because those are over. But you, this feels like in my own heart, I feel the reason I want to do the show today, I feel like there's an inevitability to what took place after September 10th. Yeah. And then what took yeah. place after that. Except, Rob, let's talk about this, except I want some solutions from you as well, but except when we leave, we leave $90 billion roughly in equipment there. Um, we've lost the base. The prisons have been opened. Um, 
the unbelievable things that are already happening to women. I read a report today about a pregnant woman. She's a police officer and them executing the Taliban, executing her in front of her family. Um, and I get I get emotional. When I think about this because it's not just the money that was left there, Rob. But what do we do? Because, you know, these Apaches, these tanks, I have to think China and Russia would like to get a good look at these. You know, some of our. Well, of course. Right. So of course, I, you of course. Mentioned Bagram earlier, like, is there a chance ever that China tries to take a base over like that inevitably someday? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts and what do we do? Because all this crap is still left there and they have it now. Well, I mean, the proof's right in the video. They, they showed um, um, one of our helicopters being flown, I think, over Kandahar and that dude was hanging from it. I don't think that was an execution. I think that was a fighter trying to trying to fix a situation on a flag or something. But the point is, the helicopter was flying and there's no way the Taliban learned how to fly it in four or five days. That's someone that was either U.S. trained, a Russian, or, or someone from China or Iran. Wow. It's in there. That's wow. flying. And if you notice, uh, the Chinese embassy never closed, and they just said that that's their biggest partner in rebuilding, which means China's going to move in for sure. Uh, and they're trying to get that uh, pathway from – because China and uh, Afghanistan actually border through there, through Pakistan, to get into the Gulf of, of uh, Oman, the Arabian Gulf, so they can get there into their uh, – with reach into uh, Europe. And then uh, you – just bringing China, you know, the, the big picture yes. thing, you got to think about Taiwan because China wants Taiwan back. I mean, right. you got celebrities like John Cena speaking in Mandarin, apologizing to the Chinese people for calling Taiwan a country. The issue is now what's going to stop China from taking Taiwan? I, right. I wouldn't trust us. They got to rely on Australia and Japan, our allies over there. Granted, we do have the most powerful Navy, but, you know, we used to rely on um, sea power. We used to rely on uh, alliance solidarity deterrence, um, uh, for, forward defense. And who's going to trust us? It, it's it, it's a, it's a bigger issue with China trying to become the only superpower in the world. And and if you think about it, the problem is we've taken our eye off the ball because this is this is a direct result of political correctness gone wild. I've had veterans hitting me up today, uh, DM on social media saying, "Do you think we're diverse enough as a military to fight China and Russia?" Diversity has nothing. I mean, it, diversity is great, but no one in the military really cares about it. Like, I, you know, don't ask, don't tell was huge. What, the repealing of it when I was getting out. I'm in Afghanistan after the Bin Laden raid, talking to a. a seals and I said I said do honestly any of you really care if anyone in this room is gay no absolutely not I don't care if they're gay black white uh straight whatever um if, if it, it's equal opportunity meaning if you can get to the standards welcome aboard I don't care if you're a woman or a man if you can do it let's all do it together no one cared but the it just this hype um for some reason the media likes to hype stuff up because bad news gets great ratings and it's the flavor of the day it's the 24-hour news cycle we're, you know, we've got General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, talking about he wants to hear about white rage. It's, you know what, N nobody, that's not even a thing. And uh, they're, they're talking about that. Well, uh, well uh, China just got rid of beta male um, uh, boy bands because they don't want, they want to, they want to put alpha males out there. Not, not these, you know, not, and hey, not that harmonization is great. I love dudes that can sing. That's cool. But um, the military doesn't need to be concentrating on that. And that's where we're at. And and again, it just comes back to telling the truth because right now we're in a time where telling the truth can get you fired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other part, the other part is, is it's not just the bad news sells nowadays. The, the worst part is that hate sells nowadays. Um, it's mm -hmm. gone beyond just bad news. It's it's be, become so um, uh, kind of visceral and and hateful. I mean, it's it's targeted, which is which is tough. But you know, let me you know a quick thing about you know just a quick a quick uh, taste of optimism here. I think in terms yeah. of this equipment, you know, first first of all, most of the equipment was um, disabled or destroyed, especially the the higher tech stuff. Um, certainly, there's some left over. However, I would say um, uh, not a lot of uh, preventant PMS, which is preventant preventive maintenance servicing going on over there. So 
I think I think a lot of that equipment will, um, and I might eat my words, of course, but uh, will be used for a little while and and not be used anymore. I don't think China and Russia are necessarily um, interested in our equipment over there. Uh, we do have to be concerned because, uh, like Rob mentioned, um, you know, there's a vacuum now, and China and Russia are filling that vacuum. Um, but there, I think, uh, the, the, what we have to be worried about is is the fact that Afghanistan's sitting on quite a bit of uh, resources um, that that China and Russia could get their hands on or probably have interest in getting their hands on. Um, the other thing, uh, so that's, so the, so I guess the optimism is that well, I think- Rich, the, do you agree with Rob that maybe their hands are on them? For example, the example he gave with the, like, what I love this is you're not hearing this anywhere else about, you know, it's, CNN's already moved off of this because they want to protect their guy, right? They're onto another story. And if it would be reversed, if this was Trump in, Fox would have moved off of it and CNN would be covering it ad nauseum. I get all that. I'm just saying, do you tend to agree with Rob? It sounds to me like you're a little bit more bullish than Rob is, but do you do you agree that, you know, who was flying that Apache? Well, well, yeah, I mean, again, we trained a lot of people over there. I mean, there, there's a, you know, so, so who knows? But, you know, again, I think, um, is it concerning? Sure. Is it, uh, is it keeping me awake at night? No. I mean, it's not really, that, that, that piece is not keeping me awake at night. I think the piece that keeps me awake at night is, uh, is the fact that there's a vacuum there, um, that we have to, as a nation, figure out how to, how to fill, uh, the vacuum as necessary. Okay. We're not going to, at least in the, in the immediate near term, and I say that five, maybe five, 10 years, uh, we're not the first people who are going to be affected by a, uh, destabilized Afghanistan. Okay. That's really going to be uh, people who are more close to the problem. Uh, that does not mean we need to, you know, we, can, we, we need not be concerned. We have to think about the concerns and we have to think about our true, some of our truer competitors. Because again, the other thing that I'll say, and again, Rob, correct me if you, if you disagree, but I think one of the things, one of the um, side effects of this 20 year war, that is the negative side effect is, is we lost our, we lost the bubble. We, we, we took our eye off some of our, our bigger threats, some of our near peer threats. And so, um, and so coming out of this now, I think it's going to provide us some focus on some, some near peer threats that we've lost the, we had to kind of get, get back in, in, in our, in our hands in terms of understanding what they're doing. Um, because I just don't think, um, I don't think our next war is going to be, uh, one with muscles and guns. <laughs> I think it's going to be one with, um, with nerds and cyber technology and things like that. And we have to really start, this is where, you know, again, you know, Rob speaks about diversity and, and it's why, you know, the military, it, it, you know, it's, it's a very, very diverse institution. It shouldn't be overly focused upon because guess what, whether you are, wherever you're from, there are certain aspects, certain attributes that you're looking for in the, in military personnel. In some cases, it's, it's the muscles and guns guys. It's guys like, you know, I guess Rob and I, although Rob's a lot stronger than me, but, um, but you know, the, the guys who tote the stuff and, and go fight the wars or fight the battles and, 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 and shoot the guns. But, um, but it's also we need that we need the thinkers we need the 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 intellect the people who are thinking beyond um, the you know being on the ground I mean the the level of ground engagements uh, in in this kind of new technological te uh, technological world is only going to get smaller you know we're gonna we're gonna start seeing wars fought in ways that are different than muscles and guns and so I think we have to start thinking through a larger term strategy as a nation and our military is as far as I know um, and and in and the limited the limited stuff I hear, uh, uh, we're starting to we're starting to shift that a little bit and start to say how how can we actually um, let's begin talk to the, win again? Let's talk about the thinking thing, Rich. I want to ask you that. By the way, I'm so proud of being able to share both of you and in, in not the stereotypical way. You know that uh, that you know millions of people are going to expose to the 
the, frankly, the intellect and brilliance of the two of you guys. I know you both are really humble, but I just, I'm really proud the way both of you think through these things and what you can share. And just, this is what should be being talked about on television right now. And it's not, but I, I, the thinking part, you, you seem to have a little bit more confidence, Rich. And by the way, it makes me feel good that you have more confidence in some of the decision-making because I've been going through, you know, the last few weeks perplexed and I want to understand, and let me tell you, I, I want to, We'll put a bow around Afghanistan in a minute, but I want to understand this. I want the I want my audience to understand this. Uh, I, I, by the way, your point of that they have destroyed some of the equipment. I had not heard that, so that's the first time I've heard that some of the equipment has been destroyed. So that's that's wonderful. If that's accurate, that makes me feel somewhat better. But I just think about a few things. Why was this so abrupt? You know, and I, and I mean, as my little skeptical hat goes off, you know, I go, why was this so abrupt? I know there was a plan, but. How would we leave civilians there? How would how would we like you mentioned Taiwan earlier? What this looks like to our allies is horrible. To people that are in these other vulnerable places, why did we do this? Why why didn't we destroy all of the equipment? Right? Uh, why wasn't everybody out sooner? I just I, I'm trying to understand. It's because there's a photo op for 9/11. Is this a diversion because you're trying to stick through a three trillion dollar forty fifth stimulus package, or was there an ineptitude that took place? Just real significant mistakes with, you know, Millie, you know, Biden, I guess he's the ultimate decision maker, Blinken, Austin, all of them. Like, Rob, what? why did this happen the way it did in your opinion? In my opinion, I think it was for the photo op. And again, I want to revert back to what I said about yes men telling him, uh, if someone tells the president, look, the Afghan army has us, they're twice the size of the Taliban, they have all the gear, they have 20 years of training, we can get the 20 year um, anniversary of 9-11, which in my opinion should just be observed and not celebrated. But I, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm also, I, I'm, not, I'm not as negative as, as I may sound. I, I like to be positive. I, I really don't think anyone there, it, it, there being in power is trying to do the wrong thing. They're trying to do the right thing. They just sometimes get bad advice or they're, they're, doing, they're going about it the wrong way. If they're making it for political decisions, that's, you know, that's a bad thing. But I think this was just a really bad advice taken very, very quickly where, I mean, the first, the, one of the first rules, even my wife said this to me and she has no military background, she said, why did they give them a timeline, a date we're going to be gone? And why did we give up Bagram? Just, um, just, just bad decisions made that, that uh, yeah, I, and again, it goes back to the generals. If I was a general that said, uh, don't give up Bagram, and they did, I'd resign. If, if I said, do give up Bagram, I should be fired. Uh, when, when Rich and I were on the ground, if we screwed up that bad, we'd be dead or court-martialed. It, it's just the way, the way it should work. And I, I just, again, I think it was, um, uh, it, it was a shiny object, great political um photo op and then the midterms are in a year it just there I, I you know i don't i don't really think president biden made this decision to try to just destroy us it's just a right. uh, really bad bad decision making um bad advice and and um you know trying to hurry it you can't you can't hurry this so situation on the ground there by the way just thank you both for being so willing to share um i want to have everyone understand the situation that happens on the ground because you've both been there a lot how does you get roughly 300,000 people in the Afghan army, right? I'm, I mean, what do I know? But that's what I've been told. They've been trained for years and years. They've got the be better equipment. The Taliban's got 80,000 people, and in three days, they're toast. So how does that happen, Rich? Is that because these guys never intended to fight for their own freedom, their own country, because they've been paid? What's the dynamic on the ground that allows the Taliban, which is a third the size, mm -hmm. right, with crappier equipment, in less than a week to basically dominate these guys. How does that happen? And do, did that surprise you? 
Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, well, I guess it surprised everybody that it happened so fast. I think you know, again, these are you know, I, I, most of these people are good people, and they and they want to do what's right. And I think what Rob said is true. Um, I think the way it happens is again, it's a failure in decision making, uh, or it's actually it's a bad it's bad decision making, and that stretches it starts to stretch you know way back beyond um, beyond any one administration. It's a series of decisions that lead you down a pathway. Um, and so as soon as we began the uh, the insistence and really kind of the uh, when we signed the documents back in uh, I think it was um, February 2020 I think is when uh, when the Trump administration signed the documents to leave Afghanistan okay uh, they you know made the uh, basically uh, made a truce with the Taliban and signed the documents all right that set into motion a series of events that were going to be inevitable um, which were then carried out um, in really <laughs> upsettingly bad fashion, right? Um, because we had failures all along. Um, three big, I think, failures in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the extraction that happened. One was intelligence failure. I mean, and we, you know, there's a lot of people saying, well, it was bad intel, we didn't know it was gonna, okay, it was either bad intel or it was because, uh, kind of like Rob said, people were not telling people what they wanted to hear, okay? Or, or they were hearing stuff they didn't wanna hear and they were just ignoring it. So there's bad intel there. Um, it was a failure of coordination, which is actually one of the most atrocious problems here. Um, we fought in Afghanistan with several, several other nations, and they fought with us, and they bled with us, and they 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 served with us, and they spent capital and blood and treasure with us. And and the decision to leave was largely unilateral in terms of the U.S. saying, "Hey, we're gone," right? Uh, and and a lot of our a lot of our coalition allies were saying, "Hey, could you please stay or stay longer?" And we kind of gave them the the, the hand and said, "No, we're leaving," right? So so I think one of the worst um, kind of marks on us as a as a nation uh, was our uh, kind of the 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 way we made the decision without coordinating with anybody um that lack of coordination and that lack and then the third failure was failure of planning um the decisions to move so rapidly listen um when rob talks about kabul right Ka you know kabul being a, a, a centerpiece and a stability factor is huge kabul airport being one of the primary symbols of that stability right um when when the military begins to extract from Kabul so rapidly, almost overnight, I mean, it doesn't give the forces out in the other regions of Afghanistan, uh, the Afghan forces, a lot of confidence <laughs> that they're going to be supported as, they, as, the, as the Taliban rolls through. And you have to understand, Afghanistan is a very interesting, uh, very fractured environment country. I mean, mostly tribal, uh, mostly survival. Um, people are going to do for themselves and their family what the best is to do for themselves and their family. And I think ultimately um, it was not necessarily a, you know, what people might think a bunch of people, you know, dropping their guns and running away screaming. These were some, some, some decisions made by people who said, listen, I can play with the winning side um, or I can play with the losing side. And based on what I see in terms of who's going to be there to have my back at the end of the day, uh, I think I may not want to uh, play with the, the side that's getting out of here. Um, and so uh, and so some of these decisions, I think, were were in effect um, sped up uh, because of a uh, of a unfortunately a, um, a sense of, of or a loss of trust in, in us and our ability to, to have their backs. So I know I can hear people going, all right, I got it. So so now <clears throat> what? You know, what's going to happen there? What do we do? And why does this matter? And it matters because what Rob said when we started the interview, if we truly are back at a September 10th type time, and I don't mean to be an alarmist, it's just, it doesn't feel right to me. What happened there doesn't feel right, does not engender a bunch of confidence from me. And I'm not talking about the president, but 
I'm not, I, I, listen, if people say to me all the time, well, you know, Biden's not prepared to be the commander in chief. Well, what background did any of these guys have before Bush's dad, right? I mean, George Bush didn't have a background that'd make you commander in chief or Clinton or Obama or Trump or Biden, right? And none of them did. So I think that's sort of a hilarious political statement. Um, Bush's father, he did. Even yeah. Reagan, right? So I, that's that stuff's, you know, whatever. That's, po that's political stuff, at least in my mm -hmm. mind. But, um, and by the way, both these guys have called out both parties and both administrations for different things over time. But but I do feel like this is just an absolute show. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel good yeah. about it. And it doesn't engender. So Rob, in your opinion, you got a little crystal ball there. What should we do now? And what's going to happen? Because you got ISIS-K now. Are they going <clears> to <throat> eventually take over the Taliban? There's going to be, there's a civil war. Someone said the other day, there's going to be a civil war. There is a civil war there already. So what's going to happen? And ultimately, are we going back? You well, know. this is this, this has happened every time an empire has failed in Afghanistan. Uh, the, 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 the battling tribes, Richard mentioned, mentioned how tribal they are. The battling tribes are surrounding Kabul. They're going to take it. There's going to be infighting. <clears throat> it's happening now with, uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's Syrians, there's Saudis in there, there's foreign fighters, but there's a lot of Afghans there always been battling with each other. No matter who takes it over, they're probably going to, they're, they're pretty much hand in glove again with Al-Qaeda. <clears throat> who are the foreigners that they're the they're generally not from afghanistan there will be the camps again i doubt they're going to do it the same way but the problem that we're going to have now is is how easy it is to get into the united states to attack us again and it's not they never forget uh, you know we always say never forget but our problem is we always forget to never forget um they're not going to try to hijack planes again and jam them into buildings and, and have another 9-11 like we did 20 years ago um what, what they're going to be looking at now if you notice on a lot of those c-17 flights out not a lot of women and children on there but a whole right. bunch of fighting age males a lot a lot of uh, military age males and they, they're not dumb they okay think about 1993 they bombed the world trade center they wanted one tower to fall into the other it didn't happen they didn't forget they came back on 9-11 they have not forgotten about us they know our borders are wide open they, 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 and, and they're not they're, this time they're going to look at something else. These are very creative people. And and who knows? I mean, you know what they did in Russia is they took over an elementary school, the suicide bombers. They put all the kids in the basketball court and they can start executing. Who's to say they wouldn't do that? Our, our borders are wide open and because we we make everything political that we, we can't have a, a having a solemn or a, sorry, a, a, a protected border is, is somehow racist. Um, there's a big fight about that. We know damn well it's easy to cross. So. You know, if I, I, I don't want to put an idea in anyone's head, but if I'm looking there, I'm thinking, hey, there's schools in Arizona. Oh, boy. Yeah. I worry about that, too. The the border part of it, um, you know, I, everyone asks me, what's your politics? I, I don't know, because I'm super socially liberal and extremely fiscally conservative. And I really do belong and believe in a, a strong military. And I believe in forward deployment. I would rather us be in some of these places than waiting for them all to come here. I just believe that theoretically, you know, not having a military background, but theoretically that seems to make some sense to me. The border has been an interesting issue for me because I'm, uh, I hate the demonization of the people that have tried to come across here to just no doubt. live better lives. I know you do too. Mm -hmm. um, these are, I live in California. These have become our friends. They've raised our children. They've picked our crops. They've cleaned our homes. Their sons have died in our military. I hate that demonization thing because I think it's terrible and it, it makes me sick to my yes, stomach. Yes, it is. It is. It is. And I know you is, feel that way too. And, and by the way, those people have now done more than that. They now are real estate agents and mortgage brokers and doctors here and are they've elevated their status here. How they got here, we were complicit with them, in my opinion, right? So we're part of that whole equation. If we didn't really want them coming, they wouldn't have been coming. So I don't like that conversation. However, my friends that are high up in both parties, and I mean really high up that I work with, worry about exactly what you just said. Yeah. And I'm talking, even the ones who publicly, Kevin said they're for a, a real border wall, 
their worry is exactly what you just described, which is that people we don't know coming here, not to get on a social program, but to really do damage to our country. And we probably ought to know who's coming in the country and that they're not stupid, that that is a open place to come in. And there are schools in Arizona and there there are yeah. places in Texas. And so I, that yeah, is a word. Yeah. I agree with you completely, too. I'm, I'm the same way, uh, fiscally conservative, you. socially liberal. And, uh, you know, I mean, and again, it's uh, crossing the border is is sort of like in a, in a war zone. Ninety nine percent of the people are just trying to get on with their lives, get better lives. People, if I was if I was in Central America and poor, I would do the same thing. I'm not blaming these people. I'm just saying you, you have to have the honest conversation, of, you know, about what's going on. And, and, and uh, the people high up the powers to be are so political. They don't they don't want to get in the same. This, I mean, this is why we not to get on a different subject. This is why we need more veterans in Congress, because they'll at least get in the same room. Democrat, right. Republican, independent. We'll get in the same room yep. and just talk about it. I mean, but you got you got to just be realistic about it. It's, Rich, um, you're nodding. You agree? But, 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 I, yeah, I agree with you with, on several things. First of all, I would say um, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even be able to classify myself. I classify myself as politically homeless. I'm part of the, I'm part of the homeless <laughs> problem, right? So, um, and I'm and I think this is a. By the way, this is a great example of and and you know, there's a lot of things Rob and I agree with. There's there's a lot of things we disagree on. Um, this is a great example of how people can sit down and have a conversation with each other right. about things we disagree with. You can have empathy for another human being without agreeing with that person, right? You can feel with it. I didn't. Rob and I did not agree, and our buddies did not agree with the guy who was shooting the the rocket propelled grenade at the U.S. convoy. But we certainly empathized with him, right? right so absolutely. you can you can have empathy without uh, agreement. Um, and so I think this is why we uh, are in the state we're in is because we can't have these conversations, right? Why can't I have a conversation about the fact that I do believe that we should be able to own guns, but I also believe we should try to keep the guns out of the hands of idiots. I do believe that no, we have, about it. <laughs> I do believe oh, that Rich, we are. I'm, I'm, the same, I'm the same way. I'm pro 2A, <laughs> but you don't need a flamethrower. Come on. <laughs> That's right. You don't. Yeah. And I do believe, you know, we um, we uh, were founded, our country's founded on, on the melting pot, um, you know, of, of the of the United States, uh, but we need to understand and and uh, have a process by which we understand who's coming through our borders. When it comes to threats, I think though one of the things that's a little bit more <laughs> scary, I think, is not necessarily the um, the people who are physically coming across the border. I think we've seen the terror networks actually uh, proliferate um, through the internet a little bit, uh, a lot more since since nine eleven. I mean, when we when we first went out there, we kind of knew where they were and where to get them. Um, since then, uh, we've seen this proliferation of online content, the radicalization that uh, that happens and occurs um, that goes global very quickly because it goes through the lines of the internet. And this is where I think our, our intelligence agencies have to be more concerned about these lone wolf threats and things like that. The, 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 the people are getting radical, radicalized because they're watching things online. There's, there, there's environmental cues that are him into that and i think that's where our intelligence agencies need to also start focusing uh certainly we have to have a cons uh, a consolidated effort i think one of the great things i say you know great is a is a is a weird word but one of the great things that came from 9 11 is that it it, it, it fused our agencies in ways that had never been fused before we the I, even in the military we started working with the other services like we'd never worked our intelligence agencies started to talk to each other and and things became a lot more uh, or a lot less siloed and i think that was a positive um but i think you know we have um uh, let me just go back one thing because I want to. I want to. I, I do have a little bit of optimism about the Taliban. Okay, because I don't think wow. the I don't think we're not. Um, I don't think we're necessarily from a Taliban perspective in the same position we were 
um, on September 10th. And Taliban, it seems at this point, um, are looking for some legitimacy globally, right? Uh, and and through that um, through that search, they're they're reaching out, they're having conversations. A lot of people don't remember, um, but even before 9/11, in the late 90s, the Taliban, after establishing themselves and taking control of Kabul, uh, began to, and they were recognized as a as a uh, as a legitimate government by I think uh, UAE and um, and uh, Saudi. Uh, they sent delegates to uh, to the United States, and they and they visited the United States and sent delegates. This is before 9/11, uh, so even then they were trying to establish themselves. Um, now they have. It seems like they they're trying to do the same thing, and there's a little bit more of a stake. Uh, they're talking to people. Um, they are they are facilitating things that previously didn't seem facilitatable. <laughs> I mean, we we are still getting people out um, through. Uh, through you know, kind of conversations we're having with the Taliban, so that and I'm, again, I'm not saying this is a great place to be because again the the overarching ideology and Shia law is 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 kind of antithetical to the to the United States our our kind of moral system and it's it's atrocious and it's you know great with great sadness that we're going to see the especially the women of Afghanistan kind of plunged back in that in that system, um, but I think there's a there's a real um, difference in what we're seeing in terms of the Taliban's overarching goals uh, right now. And they do have to contend with, you know, uh, ISIS-K, uh, remnants of Al-Qaeda, things like that, um, that, uh, that that are not congruent with their overall strategy. So, so it will remain to be seen in terms of how that works out. Um, the other actors in the game, China, Russia, uh, Russia specifically, they're, they're also concerned about um, about extremist uh, behavior too. So, uh, so it's not just the U.S. that's on the. Can fight. I ask you about that? I, I, by the way, both of you, because we're on Zoom, so I forgive me for interruptions towards the end of your sentences. In person, that wouldn't happen. But basically, what you're saying to me is that we're in business with the Taliban now, which is just unbelievable to hear you say out loud, and that. You know, well, no, no, I didn't just, uh, I didn't say that. Well, well, <laughs> I no, what I mean by, I mean by the fact that we're, yeah. it seems to me like. Maybe what we're saying here is that eventually when the dust settles here, we have to bet on one team ourselves. You know, well, yeah, that, and, and we have real. to remember, I mean, when, so a couple things happened in February 2020 when, when the Trump administration signed the deal with the Taliban. OK, first first thing that happened was the Taliban immediately gained legitimacy. OK, again, yeah. I'm not this is I'm saying this without without judging whether yes. it's right or wrong. Okay? Yes, it's true. Uh, second thing that happened, thousands of prisoners were released upon that signature. Yeah. OK, thousands of uh, prisoners that we that in some cases, Rob and I probably put in put in jail. OK, yeah. thousands. Of, right. Uh, that's the second thing that happened. Third thing that happens, not one American died. In Afghanistan, as soon as that pen hit the paper, not one American died. Okay, that that shows us that the Taliban has a lot more power than we actually thought it did, um, and it also shows that that they actually are a little bit more serious than we thought they might be. Okay, Can I interject a question on that, please. Yeah, or does it or does it suggest that there was a fear of who the commander in chief was, and that fear may not exist now? I, I'm just asking openly. I'm not. It's not a political question, but was there a part of it that they knew this crazy sob who was the commander in chief, if anything happened, there were going to be drones raining down on your head real quickly, or is that not an impact at all? Well, I mean, I, again, I can't, I can't uh, hypothesize as to what they were thinking. I think if we were to look at the historics of, of, um, of how much rain was held, uh, how much hell was rained down upon them and our enemies throughout the administrations, I think there was an equilibrium there because there, there was a lot of it, right? So from both and, sides, you say. From both sides, yeah. I mean, we did a lot um, under both. And again, I didn't serve under the Trump administration. I was basically retired by the time he, he got in, but uh, but just understanding what I did. 
Um, so I'm not sure about that. I think, I think again, Taliban, we have to remember Taliban's focus is Afghanistan. That's what it's always been their focus is Afghanistan. They actually have never really cared about anything other than Afghanistan. Um, you know, bin Laden came over there because he wanted to help fight with the Russians. And of course he formed this group Al Qaeda, which is more global. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, to, to the, the, the Al Qaeda, um, jihad is like, I'm a, you know, it's kind of the, the environmentalist who thinks that, hey, everything, we have to look at everything as a, uh, you know, everything's a problem, right? You know, uh, that's, that's like the, the Al-Qaeda view, whereas the Taliban is like, hey, we're focused on Afghanistan. All we want is our country. That's all we want. And maybe a little bit of Pakistan, whatever it is. Um, and so we have to think about those, those two different uh, polarities because it does, it does, it should at least uh, factor into our, into our thought about the whole issue. So Rob, I agree with you there too. With with, with uh, as far as the Taliban goes, they even told us after we invaded that if they thought we were serious, they would have given us Bin Laden because they they. I don't think the Taliban is a threat to the country. It's the right. problem is who they let in and how are they going to train there. Yeah. Um. And that that's with Al Qaeda, ISIS, who I think are I think are uh, one and the same. Al Qaeda and ISIS. It's the same ideology based out of Saudi Arabia type the uh, the Salafist uh, brand of Sunni Islam. Um. But the, yeah, the Taliban now and and they're smarter too. And I, and I, there's even been um. There's even been special operators from different Muslim countries, um, um, Qataris or Jordanians that have, that have told uh, a lot of these people, you can have both. I mean, look at look at Dubai, they would say you can have Islam and you can have a, you can have a good life. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, being optimistic, maybe that'll open their eyes a little bit. But based on what they're doing now, not the case. Um, but I mean, they're, they're just there's so, there's so much going to happen in Afghanistan, and a lot of it, too, that no one seems to bring up is Pakistan. Because Pakistan is the center of the universe over there. Right. Pakistan is where, uh, that's where the Khani network is. That's where we knew Ayman al-Zawahiri is. That's where bin Laden was. The ISI knew bin Laden was there. Um, and Pakistan, like I said, the center of the universe. Uh, you know, we're the ones that funneled Singer missiles to the Mujahideen through Pakistan to fight the Russians. And then, you know, they're doing the same thing with, uh, with al-Qaeda to us. So, um, but yeah, I'm just agreeing with Rich that the, 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 uh, the, the Taliban is pretty much only interested in, in, um, in Afghanistan. Yeah. And again, it, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, these types of evolutionary um, maturations don't happen in one generation. These are generations worth of, of time frame. I mean, uh, Saudi did not become what it is over the course of just 20 years. Dubai did not become what it is over the course of 20 years. Um, it will be up to, uh, I think, the Taliban. And, you know, honestly, you know, one of the key factors is the youth. Um, if the youth is allowed to uh, ride, I mean, look at Iran. Iran's a great example. I mean, there are discotheques in Iran that rival Vegas <laughs> in terms of the the youth of of, of Tehran, right? Um, and um, and those uh, those young people want nothing to do with the radical ideas of no. of, uh, of the Ayatollah and things like that. They are the key. They are the key. Capitalism, in that sense, is the key. Uh, this is the problem with Shira law, right? It doesn't really allow that type of education. This is what we were hoping to help uh, uh, stem and actually like uh, help proliferate throughout Afghanistan was education and getting people to kind of learn this. I think this is a responsibility, um, at least at least something we should keep our eye on in terms yeah. of empowerment. No, that's, that, that, that's right, too, is it with with, with uh, and we've proven now for 20 years, you're really not going to win the, the long game with with brute force bombs and bullets. It is going to be through education. Mm -hmm. um, it's everything from it's, you know, it's 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 what's being taught to the young minds on in the madrasas on the border in Pakistan. Again, um, look at like Iran, Iran is Sharia law, but the it's the young liberals that happen to like music <laughs> that I, I, I like Hollywood. I don't have a problem with this dude just because he was born in a different country. And that's it's the edge. And that's the you know that's that's the that's what the hard nut to crack is how do how do you 
we're, I mean, we're going to, we're going to, as far as jihad goes, we're going to make peace with, with Muslims because of Muslims, not because of what we try to force down their throats. I also, I also agree with you on that, but I I just think sometimes you all don't give yourself enough credit as well. It's, you know, yeah, things there aren't the way we would like them to be. I'm speaking again of Afghanistan and and Iraq didn't go the way that we wanted it to either, but you know what, we don't know what would have happened had you not done what you did. And we don't know that these hearts and minds would have necessarily been transformed if they didn't see some consequence for some of this extreme behavior in some of these countries that you guys put to rest to some extent. Well, so remember, I, just, just to say, I mean, this is why what we did was not in vain. I mean, bin Laden's correct. goal, okay, bin Laden's goal in the 9-11 attacks was to create such distress in the Western hearts and minds that we left the Middle East, okay? The exact opposite happened. <laughs> we're, we're more, pro- we, yeah. we got more proliferated than he ever thought we would. So, so in many ways, he failed that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that goal. And, and really, I mean, the, the United States military and all of those who went out there and fought, we found and got and captured or killed a lot of bad oh, yeah. guys, a lot of bad guys, right? Um, again, though, you can't just plug holes. You can't just plug holes in the ship and, and expect that to be the solution, right? There had to have been a larger overarching strategy that was supporting and buttressing the effort uh, because what even even in the conduct of our jobs, that still created a vacuum and those vacuums are always filled, right? And, and if, if there isn't a plan to address the vacuum when it's created, um, i.e. when Saddam <laughs> gets gets uh, removed or, you know, the Taliban gets removed, if there's not a plan um, and not a overarching long-term strategy that's that's supported with all elements of power of the United States, not just right. military, um, then we're, we're in trouble. Yeah, and it comes back to the end game too. A prime example is an invasion of Iraq uh, just bad decisions and no contingencies. Like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to take Baghdad and Saddam will be gone, and then everyone will rise up and the and it'll be great. And and the the question is, okay, well, what if they don't? Oh, they will. I get that. I get it, sir. But what if they don't? Oh, they will. I know. But what if they don't? Right. Right. And just that, chaos. Yeah. So there's there's got to be an and, end of contingencies. And an understanding of the cultural aspects, right? You go into Iraq and you have the Sunnis, the Kurds, and the Shia, right? And you have to consider, okay, how is this all going to play out? And and that wasn't considered. Okay, you go into Afghanistan, no. as now it's the it's the uh, Pashtuns, it's the it's the Taliban, it's the it's the Al Qaeda folks, it's the it, it, you just have all of these little these these facets that make the problem more complex. And I think for for those of us in the military, I think, um, and maybe maybe even me, who was in some cases uh, sometimes sitting in briefings that Rob didn't want to be in. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and hearing we had some Xbox to play, yeah, yeah, and hearing some stuff. Um, I I even remember thinking, I was like, I just don't feel like um, like we're uh, appropriately just addressing some of these some of these larger issues. And it was that that was not a an admonishment of how we as the military was addressing. It felt like to me we weren't. Um, it wasn't being thought of at the at the national levels uh, because again the military. You know, you've heard it before. I mean, when 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 you have it, when you're using a hammer, just a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Okay, the military in in many ways is the hammer, right? And and for us, everything's going to look like a nail. We do very well and did very well at nuancing ourselves and doing a lot more than maybe we had planned to, or or modifying and adapting uh, in ways that we hadn't uh, uh, perceived. But at the same time, um, it's just one element of of five national elements of power. I'm so glad we talked today because, and I, I've got some more stuff, and I won't keep you guys much longer. But I, I have some stuff I really want to ask you. But one of the things that surprised me over time, getting to know both of you and other, you know, real operators, real warriors, is they're the ones who least want war, uh, least want combat if they don't have to. And I'm always surprised by that. And it's usually somebody like me that never did any of that. That's like, well, wait a minute. And you guys know better than I do. But I do feel like it's both. And um, I do. I feel I'm the Mr. Positive guy, right? That's what my show's supposed to be about. But I do just feel like I've seen this movie before. We pulled out. They've got equipment there still. They're going to fight it out now. And I just feel like there's an inevitability. We're going to have to go back. 
we're going to do something again. And there's just this part of there's like, it didn't seem that bad to me with the 2,500 non-combats there. No yeah. one's dying. Wasn't mm -hmm. costing a lot of money. I just don't get why we, it was almost like, you know, they had that notion of the elephant with the little rope tied behind it with the stake. At any time, they probably could have ripped it. But we were kind of that little stick with the rope on it. It seemed just sort True. of kind of keeping yeah. it together. And it's just well, also, story. also, yeah, really, really empowering and, and bringing confidence to those 300,000, you know, uh, Afghanis yeah. who were there, yeah. too. I mean, that's that's you know, these can't be understated. The just the, the small level of support from coalition and the United yeah. States can empower uh, to a to a great degree. So um, but let me just say something real quick, because I want to I want to, you know, talk about Rob here and uh, just because I we haven't talked in a while, but guys like Rob and, and the operators who I was so lucky to serve with, I mean, um, you know, people have to understand that, yes, we do not, we are, we are actually pacifists, but we understand that, you know, sometimes bad people have to have to be addressed, right? Um, but we, we're pacifists in the sense we understand that war and co the conduct of war has to be taken into with with high consideration and high thought it can't be rushed into um and these are guys who it was so remarkable for me to work with and see because they were surgeons you know and and this is the other assumption that i think uh, many people make and maybe it's because of some movies and television and maybe some people out there who are talking but um we don't do this with hate in our heart okay surgeons don't cut out cancer because they hate the cancer surgeons look at the cancer as the job they have to do and they cut it out and this is how we did it overseas we went and we did a job we did it with um with um precision we did it with uh the 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 right amount of emotion um the right amount of uh of aggression um and i've literally seen rob and i've seen other guys uh who we served with go from in one moment executing lethal force to the next moment taking care of children okay um, this is the type of surge, uh, surgery that these guys were doing um and they did it so well um, and they did the job, um, and and overall, every single person who served uh, should feel like what they did had value because it did. Okay, um, the cycle of life, the cycle of politics, the cycle of, of natural uh, human history uh, is what it is. But uh, but everybody should hold their hold their heads up high, and I'm proud to have served with with Rob and and every single person I, I served with. You made me think where I wanted to go next, Rich. I appreciate you saying that about Rob and you, obviously, and so many others. A couple things occurred to me as we're talking. I wish this was the conversation that's been had in the country the last three weeks and, and is ongoing. You know, some disagreement. We said we we're going to elevate the conversation, a real information, real understanding of the dynamics and how things happen and how they work, decisions that are made. And this is how it should be because Rich and Rob don't agree on everything, right? And I don't agree with both of them on everything. And I have no basis for half of the things that I believe. That's why I've been asking these guys these questions today. But I, what, I, Rob, it made me think about, you know, the other thing with you guys that strikes me is the level of humility is so remarkable for the incredible things you've gone through and protected our country for, protected the world for. And Rob, just for a minute, I don't. you've been on the show, we've covered it before, and I won't have to go through the whole story. But I just think this stuff just sounds like a video game to even someone like me, right? These are just like, it, it's, it's literally a video game. But then there's the real world men and women that are on the ground protecting the world, protecting the country. And I've said this many times, Rob, since I've met you and people ask me about you. I said that um, whatever you were doing the day that uh, Osama bin Laden was killed, whatever you were worried about, whatever was your big problem that day, imagine what O'Neill and his dudes were doing that day, what they yeah. were thinking, the bravery level of you and your, your, your partners there. I just want to take you through them. I want them just to feel this for a minute of what's gone on to give you the freedom to argue whether we should have an open and closed border, 
to go protest if you want to, to argue over guns, to argue over taxes, to vote in an election. These things matter. And I don't think people understand this. This is not promised forever. And there's guys like Rob and people like Rich that ensure the fact that we get to have these arguments where we live in our freedoms. So, Rob, just the thing that you said to me about the bin Laden raid, all of it's remarkable. But you said to me, I knew I was dead. I had yeah. already dead. I was tired of thinking about it. I'm just going over here. Let me just die. I want you all to imagine whatever you're worried about today, whatever you're doing today. So take us just for a minute, if you would, in, in brief, but just let them feel this for a minute. Everything's let up. You now know that it's him. You now know you're going to get him and you're on the helicopter leaving Afghanistan coming over. What's going through? This is what has happened to protect us, everybody. What well, I mean, it's it, it, it's the it's the human element because um, there's there's humanity involved with everything. I don't care who who it is that you kill. Someone loved them, and and you you get to a level where you're questioning: Are we killing each other just because we were born in different parts of the world? Had it been different, would we have gotten along? Weird stuff like that. But I even had a conversation with my father right before I launched on the Bin Laden raid, and he he would always say to me, um, "I wish I was going with you." When I'd call him prior, and I'd say, "Yeah, I wish you were too, Dad." But this time he said, "I wish I was going with you," and I said, "Don't worry, Dad. I'm with some really great people." And so I knew I was going there with my my uh, my brothers, um, and we knew that this is what we're here for. This is this is why we came. This is why we joined. And the acceptance once the acceptance of giving your life for the greater good, uh, you kind of lose the you kind of lose the fear a little bit because you, the realization that if I could I could pull myself off this mission anytime, but I'm letting them down. And if I live to be 90 years old, would I give every single day? to have one shot at this. This is why I'm here. I'm here to fight for the men and women that died in the tower. I'm here for the Americans, the first Americans to fight Al-Qaeda on Flight 93. And before they fought Al-Qaeda, they voted. And that's, what's, that's, that's what America is. That's what the Western ideology is, that's freedom. And, and there, there's, there's just so much there. It's, it's, I'm with these guys, I, I'm, I'm, I, I might die, but I'm safe, I'm good. And just getting there, um, to, and just, it's kind of like taking everything, because th these are real people that can barely afford their mortgages. Now we're in Abbottabad, Pakistan. And I was in the back because of where we ended up. And I'm watching, guys. Um, we could blow up at any second, but everyone's doing their jobs. Like we like we taught each other, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. But then, like Rich said, shooting someone, but then running across the room to grab a child, because I don't want that kid to be more afraid than he needs to be. And just r realizing these are the good guys. And this is what we're fighting for. It's, be it's bigger than this. It's not just us here. This is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And when we got up to the room, I just followed a guy that was braver than me up the last set of stairs. And uh, he went one way and I went the other. And after I even shot Bin Laden, um, his two-year-old son was standing there. And I remember as a father thinking, this poor kid has got nothing to do with this. So it's, this, is, this is real human emotions. And, and you know, Bin Laden, who, you know, so, millions of people loved him. It's all because of different ideologies. That's all because of different educations. Was he an asshole? Yeah. Does he deserve to die? Absolutely. Do I feel bad if we didn't take him alive? No. F him. But th you know, this is what we're this th this is it, and these are these are the good guys. And but then when you get away from it too, you know, this is a really big world, but it's a really small world. And 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 um, you know, it's 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 like uh, you know, y yes, we need to meet force with force at the point of origin, and there needs to be people there willing to do it. Uh, but but you know there's a there's a there's just a, there seems to me to be a bigger a bigger picture than that. And we we mentioned people that have never been there and play the video games. Whenever I see someone walking down the street with a, I like to kick doors and shoot f***ers in the face. My reaction is no, you don't, because right. you've never f***ing done it. Yeah, and you could and you probably wouldn't be able to. Um, it's funny. And let me just add one thing because it's interesting. And I, it was a conversation I had with another friend of uh, a mutual friend of ours. Um, obviously, I won't give his name, but I remember he and I were were uh, at one point we came back and we were a little upset because we came back to a nation after, you know, I don't know what tour it was. 
Um, and it just seemed like everyone was hyper focused on the Kardashians and, and American Idol and all of this stuff. And and we were kind of frustrated. I remember us having coffee and we we're talking about it and, and and we came to a realization and the realization was was this. And, and again, Rob will will feel this one. Um, we used to leave for these deployments usually in the middle of the night because of the way the flights worked. Right. So so we'd have to go muster at like 11 p.m. and then get on the plane like midnight and and fly out. And so so my kids who were small, they were always in bed, you know, and I'd always go into their room and just watch them. And, you know, every parent probably does this, but I always, you know, watch my I always used to watch my kids sleep. But especially on the nights that I was leaving, I'd go in and watch them. And I'd wonder what they were dreaming about. And I would hope, I always, I always, I hoped they were dreaming about like Disneyland and, and sugar plums and fairy, whatever it is, right? Um, and I realized, and, and my buddy and I realized that that's why we do it. We do it because um, we don't want our kids to have to see the stuff we see. We don't want our kids to have to think about the stuff that we think about. We want to preserve a little bit of that blissful ignorance. Um, and, and honestly, um, we do that happily. We do that with uh, we do that um, you know with great pride, uh, and and that's cool. It really is. And so yeah. uh, and so I'm not mad at the Kardashians anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, you're you're both uh, you're both special men. You just are, and uh, takes my breath away. I, I uh, when you talk, there's a sense of emotion in me. Um, that's not just gratitude. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, with both of you, every time I've talked with each of you. I'm curious, I don't think I've ever asked you this, Rob, I, and maybe you can't share it, maybe you don't know. How is this How is this journey of yours, you spent most of your life doing this. Like You were one guy when you were, uh, you're not even sure which group of the military you were joining initially, right? Yeah. And then you're another guy sitting there right now, having had experiences that uh, are unconscionable, that almost no human being that's ever walked the earth has had the experiences you've had, right? I mean, you've had a, a life experience yeah. in situations and environments that uh, the combination of which you may be the only one or one of the very few. Do you know how it's affected you? Do you, do you, do you, you can you describe it if you are even aware? Well, I'm just, I'm just lucky because, it, you know, every day I used to, I was fortunate to go to work with people who were better than me. But I learned being a, a dude from Montana who joined the Navy basically because the Marine recruiter wasn't in the office. I couldn't swim. And I ended up in Bin Laden's bedroom as a Navy SEAL. It, it, was just, it proved to me that uh, it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. You can do anything as long as, as, long as you keep a positive attitude. One of the things in SEAL training that an instructor said to me, the, the abridged version, was when you feel like quitting, which you will, do not quit now. Quit tomorrow. If you can keep quitting tomorrow, you can do anything, anything you want to do in life. Just Wait till tomorrow. I was going to quit today, but I'll just quit tomorrow and quit tomorrow. And then, uh, and as, as far as fight, that was the best experience of my life. I missed a lot of time in the United States. I missed a lot of time away from my daughters, but um, I was over there. And it's it, when you get into the, when you're the number two man, number three man going through the door, you're no longer fighting for the political party in charge. You're fighting for the men and women next to you. And and so it's very important for a lot of these veterans to realize what what they did was not in vain because it comes to a point where someone needs to take a stand and you took the stand. And, and that's it. And there, there's people that don't have the platforms that, that I do. Um, they, they, they need the recognition. You know, the, the Marines that were out there walking in a ridiculously hot sun through the minefields with the people next to them who've seen their brothers and sisters killed in action. What they did was not in vain. And the message I would just tell them is, is um, you know, a lot of people are going through it. And the important thing is once in a while, um, don't try to self-medicate. You know, put the bottle down. Call someone, even if you're if you're having a bad day, call someone because they might be having a good day. And when you're you know, when you or you're having a great day and you get out of the gym and you have the endorphins going, call someone because they might be having a bad day. 
and we can get through this together. You know, it's not, nothing you did was in vain. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter who made a bad decision. You, you made the right decision to be there. And uh, again, we're the good guys. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I, let me, I'll add something because I think this is well, we, wow. one of our, I lost, well, we lost several friends. I lost one of my friends uh, right before I got out of the, the Navy actually. And we were, we were at Dover and we were receiving his, his remains. And it was a bunch of us buddies who, who did that. And, and uh, one of our, one of the guys pulled us all into a room. He said, Hey guys, let's just get in the room here for a second. Um, and he said, Hey, um, we need to tell each other. We love each other more often. Sure. We need to we need to remember to do that. Okay, we're not doing it enough. Um, and so that's what I would say to everybody out there: tell the people that you care about that you love them more often. Okay, because because it only does good. It really does. And I know you you, you have couple. Well, we're not Navy SEALs anymore. We're former Navy SEALs, right? But a couple former <laughs> Navy SEALs here. And if we can sit here and tell people to tell them. Tell people that you love them more often. Uh, do it, right? This is what we need in this country. We need to love each other more. We need to have empathy. It's okay to disagree with each other. What's not okay is if we don't talk to each other. Um, so empathy, love, and discourse is what we need. Oh my now, god! Now, do you see why he was such a great leader? That's another line I'm going to steal from Rich. <laughs> yeah, it's mine too. I got it too. I have it. So, last uh, by the way, you guys, I, it goes without saying. Thank you. It's uh, I keep getting emotions because I know how special this conversation is. I know that so many people needed it. I kind of feel like both of you guys need it too. Like all your yeah, brothers. No, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I um I hold you both in such high regard that make me feel good about something. And if you can't, you know, I know you'll answer it honestly, but there's this part of me that as I've got to know both of you, by the way, these are two of the best speakers you'll ever bring into your organizations or your companies either. And they both got books that if you don't have them, most of you bought them when they're on my show, but if you didn't Google them both, get their books and have them come speak. I've had them come speak. I've had Rob come to speak to multiple different organizations and Rich just spoke to my Arate group and was just absolutely incredible. So if you want more of these two, you can certainly go get them, go to their Instagram, go to their websites. But you know, both of you, I hold in such high regard and there's this part of me, as I learned about you, there's the military, and then there's sort of, there's the special ops, there's the SEALs, there's the Rangers, there's the other guys. And then there's, you know, someone like, you know, both of you that have just done, you know, Rich and training and Rob and, and all of his deployments too. And then Rob and, you know, just had this remarkable career. And I watch sometimes lately, I feel like, is this, are you guys a past generation? That's what I worry about. Is this a generation that doesn't exist anymore? Is maybe the military's become... I'm all for being woke if you want to be woke, but I'm just, you know, some of this other stuff I've seen in the military, assure me there are other youths that exist that are coming up, or do you worry about that as well? And I mean that with the highest degree of respect for both of you, but I know from being around and knowing Rob a while, I know now from knowing Rich, like I know minus a handful of people, the world could be very different. And most of them aren't famous. Most of them aren't well-known. And you take this select group of a very small group of people and this world could look completely different. And I've got kids that are now almost turning 20. I'm going to have grandkids. I want them to be in a world like I've been blessed enough to live in. And I know it's dudes like you two that afford that opportunity. I know that. It, are, are you guys a past generation or are there other ones of you that are operating right now and that are coming up behind them? I, I'm confident that we're, we're going to be just fine. Um, one of my favorite quotes, I, I think it was Babe Ruth, but he said, uh, the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. And because because uh, uh, so so much negativity on social media and, and such, you can you can kind of get lulled into that. But a couple things happened to me. I've got a, a cousin of mine who joined the army within the past year, and he said, "Yeah, some of this training we're doing is, is ridiculous, but everyone's uh, positive about what we're doing, and they're they're willing to get in a fight." And the other night, um, I was I, w I walked down the street to a 
a playground and I was playing basketball, shooting hoops with my wife. And I got invited by uh, some of these young kids to get into a pickup game. And I just looked around and saw how many, how many young kids were out there, no cell phones, out there playing basketball, dudes on their scooters, running around the park, just doing stuff, you know, active stuff. They're not going to have the humpback because they're staring down at Instagram. I'm, I'm very, very positive. Just, uh, you know, if, if you're having a bad, bad day, put the phone down for 24 hours to stay on Twitter. You'll be amazed how, uh, how great life is. And I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very, very positive about what's happening. And by the way, if you yeah. want to laugh, follow Makuya on Instagram. Some of the funniest <laughs> shit in the world. Yeah, and keep in mind, most of that's tongue in cheek. <laughs> he was, he was always our, he was always one of our primary class clowns. I talk about how powerful the class clowns. Um, hey, let me interrupt, Rich, real quick. It was funny when the. Uh, when we got done with the Bin Laden raid, too, uh, the, the, I noticed one question that every uh, SEAL, when they found out Bin Laden was dead, asked the other SEAL, well, who got him? And I heard the common responses. They said, O'Neill got him. I'm like, oh, shit, we're never going to hear the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's uh, And my, my Bin Laden story, my Bin Laden story, by the way, is I was staining my deck at the time. And I said to myself, oh, I wonder how those guys are doing. And no but I got my way. deck stained, which is good. Um, here's my here's my answer. Uh, we, we are a past generation, and that's a good thing. Okay, um, because if the if the folks who were the great ones 100 years ago were were, were running the, the show now, we'd all be screwed. Um, evolution is a is a is a thing. You cannot stop it. And um, and I think as we see the youth and the younger generations come up, we are seeing them evolve. We're seeing it change. It's not going to feel uh, necessarily good to, to us as we get older because we're, we're products of our generation. Listen, I love the 80s and I love the 90s and sometimes the 2021s don't feel very as as comfortable anymore right but i see my kids um and they are they don't do some of the same things i do yeah they, they might be on their phones and youtube more than i was because i didn't have it but they're watching they're watching the mars lander uh land all right i mean they're glued to that shit, which is like oh my i mean they're they're their focus is different. So I think we need to, I mean, part of our empathy, part of our open-mindedness, I think part of our staying young, and I say this to the three old guys that we're, that are talking right now, part of our, <laughs> our way to stay young is to embrace the youth. And uh, because as soon as we uh, stop, uh, as soon as we become closed-minded, as soon as we become unwilling to adapt, we become dinosaurs and we go extinct. And, um, and we have to be the frog, you know, be the frog, not the dinosaur. And, um, and the youth guides us, the youth shows us. We can help the youth with some of their, uh, with, with guiding them some as well, but, but I'm optimistic. I think we're going to be, I see some, I see some real goodness in people and in, in the, in the youth. And I'm, I'm proud to, to, uh, you know, have them take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm proud of both of you. I'm proud to call you both friends. And I, since you said to say it, I love you both. And um, I appreciate today very much. I, this is what I hope we would do today. And they kind of want to notch past it because we got to discuss awesome. this stuff in depth. And then they got to feel what it's like to be the two of you and, and how you think. I just wish this was the dialogue and the conversations that were happening more regularly throughout the country. So thank you both. Real pleasure to be with both of you. That has been great. Love you guys. Love you both. Thank you, too. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. This is The Ed Milet Show.